Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we dive into yet another civil war. Wait for Superman's rebirth. Turn the rock into a man of bronze. Take a trip to Planet Hulk. And more. Hello, everybody. Hello, all you, uh, yeah, heck, heck, yeah, Ian's. Oh, our podcast name doesn't really give way to good nicknames. We should scrap the whole thing. Let's start start over 91 episodes in. We're gonna Maybe scratch like it. Marvel, we should take the seasonal approach, except seasons last 100 episodes. And once we hit episode 100, we rebrand ourselves. Sounds like a good plan to me. Oh. Uh, I'm David. That's Nick, speaking of nicknames. Um now, Nick, I am been led to believe that is not uh, Nick is not in fact your real name. Uh, I hope it is. I've been using it for quite a long time. Really? Because because uh, old old Papa Shermooksness and I were talking one time, and uh, just let it slip that uh, your name's not Nick. Oh yeah. Uh huh. And what did he say it was? Caroline. Sweet Caroline. Oh, ba, ba, ba. Don't even try to sing it. You're not a Red Sox fan. What? It's like the Red Sox song. What? what how is that the Red Sox song? Every Red Sox game, they play that song. You realize like every baseball game ever, they play that song. I don't know what you're talking about. It's a Red Sox song. But anyway, yes, my real name is Caroline. You heard it here first. 91 episodes in. This is the big twist, everybody. The big twist of the show is that his real name is not Nick. And now for David and Caroline. <laughs> well, you know, that, uh, that would be much more interesting if I had a female co-host, get the female perspective. You're pretty close. Don't get me wrong. Whoa. whoa. I don't know if that's more insulting to me or more insulting to females. Probably a little bit of both. Pencil drop one. <laughs> Personally, I'm not offended if I'm associated with the feminine sort, but they'd probably be offended if they were associated with me. They're, I'm just throwing that out they're there. They're like, man, we're, we're better than that, right? <laughs> we, uh, like, we're trying to do this whole feminism and equality thing, and Nick, and, you're uh, totally harsh in our vibes. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> All right, I'll just go home then. Um. Yeah, so welcome, everyone. Glad mm -hmm. to be here. Yeah, we got, um, a, we got a good show coming up. Gonna, We'd like to think so. We gotta, we'll, actually, we'll find out by the end of the show how good it actually ended up being. Yeah, I think uh, if we get if we get a chance to it, we can have a possibly interesting discussion topic. Uh, but before we get into that, we're gonna go ahead and talk about some comics. Hello. To the Batmobile. Let's go. So let's hop on in and drive on over, and uh, we're not gonna talk about any, actually anything Batman this week. I know that's a shock. Weird. To, it really kind of is, especially since like a kind of big Batman book came out this week. But in the meantime, 
Let's, uh, why don't we go ahead and start with you, Nick? We'll go ahead and launch into Marvel's uh, big thing, Pencil Drop 2. And why don't you tell us how Civil War number one was, is. First off, Civil be. War 2. Civil War 2 number, number one. one. I apologize. All right. Let's get the positives out on the table. David Marquez uh, on the illustration and Justin Ponzer on the colors. Fantastic. I mean, this book is simply an elevation of the elevation that David Marquez was already doing on Invincible Iron Man before he left that book to do this. And it's an elevation of his work on Miles Morales's Ultimate Spider-Man book prior to Secret Wars. So there's, I mean, if I was smart and like like really dug into each panel, I'm sure I could find some nitty gritty problems like that he mm-hmm. could have done better. Um, but for what it's worth, from like a casual art appreciator, I made up that word. <laughs> aficionado. Um, aficionado. Appreciator. I feel like could appreciator. Kind of... Appreciator is pretty good. I'm gonna throw that one into the show notes so we can hold Just on to that word. Appreciator. Appreciator. Um, <laughs> crap. Where'd it go? Where's the thoughts, man? Um, I mean, just fantastic. Just definitely next level stuff. Um, let's let's just kind of put it all on the table, though. If you do not like Brian Bendis, mm. if you didn't like the last Civil War, if you don't like <laughs> Marvel events in particular, you're probably not going to like this. This mm. is very much a Bendis book. Um it's very much kind of, uh, in my opinion, trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole kind of situation where, you know, I wouldn't say that the characters are totally off mark as far as how their personalities are dictated. Um, but the, the overall situation, at least in the way it's executed, I don't think there's anything wrong with the, the story nuggets, like what the story is all about. Um, but I'm not 100% impressed with what's coming right out of the gate. Uh, part of it is the story, the, this initial chapter feels incomplete. It jumps around a lot and then sort of requires you to, they will argue that it does not require you to, but if you haven't read the specifically the free comic book day issue hmm. to begin, uh, I would say the, 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 the number zero was probably less necessary. That just kind of was like, Hey, war machines like totally has like this, Secretary of Defense gig that you might be able to do as She-Hulk kind of pontificates on the the needs of I don't know predictive justice. Uh, no, she was actually against predictive justice in her court arguments. Doesn't matter. Um, but the free comic book day issue is basically about Captain Marvel and her Ultimates team uh, with the inclusion of like Medusa, I believe Medusa was there, and War Machine showing up to stop Thanos from raiding the Project Pegasus base. In this, during the skirmish, uh, War Mach- uh, Thanos uh, mortally wounds War Machine, who also sends off an errant rocket, which ends up hitting She-Hulk in the chest, and that apparently knocks her out. And then, um, like, that's basically it. Like, <gasps> what happened to them? Oh. In this book, they start off alive and well. Then the book jumps forward in time after this party that they have and celebrating this major cataclysmic event that happens in the first, like, five pages of the book. And then a page later, boom, they're already, like, shit's already hit the fan. Uh, I would say, like, it's, like, 
I can appreciate for Free Comic Book Day why like they wanted to get some original material in there and also make it feel relevant. But I mean, mm-hmm. if I'm I'm not saying that everyone that's reading this was went out of their way to also read the Free Comic Book Day issue, but it felt like that like the fact that you they got attacked off panel was just in my opinion the wrong way to go. So the issue feels incomplete. It jumps around a lot. Um, it talks about how like oh like Ulysses the inhuman that has the precog powers like he's been training with the inhumans for a few weeks it's like I get that the, some of this stuff is going to be expanded on in um, some like both in the free comic book day issue I think Ulysses is getting his own Civil War 2 tie-in mm-hmm. uh, miniseries like I get that that's an, that's an event thing to do but I feel like that's the kind of stuff that happens after like the second or third issue like once the shit's hit the fan like you get the little story nuggets that don't matter so much that kind of get branched off and elaborate on other books but not like the inciting incident mm-hmm. I would say um, I mean we don't necessarily need to see Ulysses grow but then I probably would have been I probably would have just introduced him like right off the bat not necessarily giving him some time to like just his bearings and then i obviously would have depicted like she hulk and war machine getting you know mortally attacked mm-hmm. um so in that case i would say the execution falls pretty low uh also the oh i just realized that my tablet doesn't work the same way as my phone um <laughs> uh, my new phone has like a tap screen touch screen like you tap the screen or double tap it to turn it on my tablet does not have that so i was just like an idiot tapping. Anyway, no one well, gives a shit. No, I, go, I go back and forth between Macs at home and then uh, PCs at work, and I'll always go to like copy and paste stuff based on the mm-hmm. last computer I was just using, and it usually causes problems. So I understand. Anyway, continue. So, um, so <sighs> it's like part of me wants to keep reading it because at the very least I'm going to get spoiled with some very beautiful art mm-hmm. by David Marquez and Justin Ponzer. On the other hand, like a, reading the original Civil War, I wasn't like super like engaged during it. I think being at the age I was at, at the time, I was you know uh, that was probably like my first besides like maybe House of M, like my first major event. Um, so it's like, I, and I, as a you know teenager or whatever I was ten years ago. Oh no, I'm no, no. years old. Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah, don't don't think about it too hard. <laughs> um, you know, emotions run a little bit higher. You got. I think I got way more invested in the story as far as like picking apart the nitty gritty. Uh, I but at the end of the day, like I wasn't like okay, this book was like okay. Um, that's kind of like my fear for this book is that it's not. Like, it's, at the end of the day, like, it's not going to... Not that there's been a lot of beloved events, but, like, I don't feel like this one's going to kind of go over well with people when it's all said and done. Okay. Um, so, to, to kind of... not I'm not going to do, like, a beat-by-beat beat in the story, but basically, instead of it being Captain America versus... Iron Man, it's now Captain Marvel versus Iron Man. Captain Marvel's on the side of predictive justice. If we have the ability to know what's going to happen ahead of time, we should use that knowledge to thwart any threats. Tony Stark, aka Iron Man, is just like, we kind of need to let the future play out. How do you know that by altering these visions, that, that these visions aren't possibilities, and because you've already acted on them, you've changed things, and you can't guarantee that preventing one thing isn't going to make what might come out of that even worse. Right. Um, 
none of that really matters because the second he finds out that uh, his best friend War Machine um, was killed in action because of a predictive vision, um, he's kind of like, listen, guys, I was right. Shit hit the fan. You all wrong. And then he kind of books it out of there. And presumably, if like you follow any of the solicitations, he's going to go kidnap Ulysses, the future precog. Yeah. Um, I will give it that, like, I think there's going to be some section of fans that are going to be pissed that, like, oh, Civil War, a black guy got killed. Um, which even, even Marvel, I was that. reading an interview with Tom Brevert on the issue, it was kind of like, like you know, we, we knew this going into this and people would point this out. Like, that wasn't lost on us. Um, at the end of the day, and this was all, like, established way before I imagined they were crafting Civil War too, so it kind of fell in their laps. Uh, War Machine has been in a relation, like an on again, off again relationship with Captain Marvel for a while now, mm-hmm. uh, and of course he's Tony Stark's best friend. So if they were going to sort of create an emotional lynch point between the two characters, you know, not just like we have an ideological battle, but now we have like an emotional battle. Killing War Machine actually does make the most sense if you're going to have to kill someone. So on that hand, I kind of like clap like. You know, that, that death act, like, not like Bill Foster in the original Civil War, which was like, we need to kill someone, boy, he's dead. Um, right. So, uh, coolies for them. Uh, Ulysses just kind of looks like, just like some college hippie kid. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not particularly visually engaging. Um, I don't know. It's definitely going to be a book that we're you know we're going to have to expand on in the future. Uh, I say like I'm grumbling now, but I'm still probably going to read the whole thing. That's not like I want it to be bad. Um, and I, you know, I've always been honest that like Bendis is kind of hit or miss with me. Um, but I mean, I feel like the way this first issue played out, like it could have been done, in my opinion, a lot better structurally. Uh, hopefully, that gets ironed out over the course of the book, but we shall see. Very cool. Yeah, I typically am like, all right, Marvel event. I can track with this one and then usually drop out after one or two issues. Uh, partially the fact that I wasn't a big fan of the original Civil War. Uh, I And because that habit keeps reoccurring, I decided, like, I'm not even going to bother with this. You know, you'll read it. If big stuff happens, I'll see it all online. But, you know, there's not... There's not a lot drawn me to this book, so I'll be interested to see, you know hear your thoughts as kind of the time goes on and, and see what happens. But in the meantime, uh, I'm going to talk about another book that is not from the big two, but is pretty in line with my usual um, usual likings, I guess. Uh, and likings that, like werewolves. I said likings, my usual habits. Liking, likings. Okay, you're, you're, you're being too hung up on this word. Uh, I'm an appreciator of uh, of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, as I have stated on this show before. And this week, from Boom Studios, I got the chance to read Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Pink, uh, number one of six. So this is a mini-series. I know we've talked about it on the show before, mm-hmm. but I don't know if we mentioned that it was uh, a mini-series. And I forgot to uh, write down who the writer and artist are, and I want to pull that up real quick because I feel like that's important for me to give credit where credit is due. Uh, anyway, just a, a quick um, 
overview. So, okay, Brendan Fletcher and Kelly Thompson are teamed up to write the book, and I this does not have the name of the artist readily available to me. Um, anyway, I'm just going to get into it. So this book takes place um, after uh, Kimberly, the Pink Power Ranger, the original Pink Power Ranger, left uh, the team. So for those who are not aware of Power Rangers lore, uh, there were three rangers who left after uh, being Power Rangers for a certain amount of time, and one of them was Kimberly, the original Pink Ranger, because she went off for some gymnastic stuff, I'm pretty sure. Um, and by pretty sure, I mean that's how the book starts, so yes. Uh, anyway, this book sees her post that, and she's at a gymnastics competition, and her mom and stepdad don't show up, so she goes and uh, goes to try to find out what's happening, and when she gets there to the town they live in uh it is completely empty it's like a ghost town is how they keep referring to it um and there are strange fish men who are going around and capturing people uh for some mysterious reason and kimberly decides that i'm going to you know i'm, I'm a former power ranger I'm going to try to get some help. She tries to get the Power Rangers, but they are off-world fighting Lord Zed at the time. So what Zordon does is he gives her, uh, apparently, and there's stuff that I forgot, apparently because she didn't give up her power in a certain way in the show. She still has the pink energy. And they're like, we can temporarily make you the Pink Ranger again, which is what happens. And she has a completely different costume this time for completely hmm. unexplained reasons. Uh, it's actually like a pretty cool costume, but there's zero, zero reason for it, as far as I can tell. Um, hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's, I like this place and continuity. I didn't look at the solicitations uh, before. Uh, oops, I do not need to have that up, so these sounds don't play. Um, but someone is telling me that X-Men wasn't that bad, Nick, just so you know. Yeah, just they're saying. a liar. <laughs> you haven't even seen it yet. Oh, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just... Let's not get into All it. All right, yeah, and I will say we are not going to be talking about uh, Apocalypse this week because Nick and I have not seen it. Uh, we can get that into that at another point. Uh, anyway, with artist Danielle DeNicolo is who the artist is on this book. Um, so I like this place and the continuity, as I was saying. It's, it's interesting. It's... Um, it kind of gives them framework to do sort of whatever they want because they don't have to put everything back into a neat little box by the time they I mean, they can't kill Kimberly because here's other Power Rangers lore that I know too much about. She shows up in a later movie. Um, but we have no reference for what was happening at that time. Wait, uh, wait, wait. Okay, I mean, I at this point, I vaguely remember... Like when she, like she leaves the team temporarily, right? No, she leaves. She is no longer a Power Ranger. No, 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 I know, but like in the show, she came back and was the Power Pink Power Ranger for a while after that. Nope, she never. So came this back. is basically her getting like a a quick go at it before yeah. disappearing completely. Before no longer being a Power Ranger. Yep. But but you're saying that she comes back in the movie. She comes back, not as a Power Ranger though. Wait, are you talking about Turbo? Yeah. She's just in it. Her and Jason. Jason's in Turbo? Jason's in Turbo. Wait, they're at like a or competition that, thing, right? Billy. No, they're on like an... It's a whole thing. We're not getting into this right now. Wait, no, <laughs> but I gotta ask. Just, but, oh. There was an... Wait, Tommy, not Jason. Tom. No, Tommy was still a Power Ranger. 
but Tommy and Kimberly go on like that trek in the jungle thing. No, no, this is. N- I, I don't remember enough. That. I don't remember enough about it to get into that part. But she just like shows up, just like help them, but not as a pink ranger. I don't remember. Uh, get back to what you're talking about. Okay. Um. You totally wrecked my train of thought. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Uh, and and kind of digging into the story, uh, I think it's 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 a fun idea. Um, her and there is there is connection to the greater Power Rangers lore. I won't give everything away that happens. Uh, the writing is okay. Uh, this it it I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's really falling in line with like the main book. It feels like Batgirl, which shouldn't be surprising, uh, given that Brendan Fletcher is in on this. Um. And in that way, like that's it's fine. Like there's a scene where when she's trying to find out what happened to her mom and stepdad, uh, she like puts on this Mad Max style outfit with like a bow and arrow. Uh, and I just it's kind of odd to me that she's like carrying carrying this stuff around for the explicit purpose of. Actually, it's not explained why she's carrying this stuff around. She's a gymnast. Why she has a bow and arrow, I don't get it. Um. So that's like that's all fine. Oh, there's this moment where she turns a corner and she's like, "Oh, there's these aliens attacking this cute guy." Like, it feels like a detail that you wouldn't throw out in that moment. Like, you're not assessing the attractiveness level of everybody in the situation. Also, she's it, like, it's three fishmen and one human. I think comparatively, any any human in that situation is like, yeah, they're the good-looking one of this crew. Ah. Uh, there's also like a twist in the, in the story that's predictable, but it comes pretty early on in the six issues. So I guess maybe you're supposed to uh, guess that off the bat. Now going into like the visual department, the visuals of this book are really great. They do fall in line with, uh, like I said, with the, or the writing doesn't so much fall in line, uh, but the, uh, visual aesthetics fall in line with what they're doing with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh, Kimberly looks like the Kimberly from that comic. Uh, so it's nice to have that consistency there, to have this feel like part of one universe. Uh, there's some really great shots. The new costume is really great. The action uh, is good. Overall, the aesthetic of it is really nice. I'm, uh, I'm probably still going to check out the rest of this book but the art makes it much more like agreeable for me too and not just because i love power rangers and my weird still crush on amy joe johnson that won't go away probably ever i'll Uh, die with this crush yes exactly so so i just uh (laughs) looked up a picture of the suit and this seems unnecessarily complex for a power rangers costume it doesn't look bad. Like, it looks cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm not... Like, it just seems like, oh, suddenly they have pouches. And, like, it's got, like, the side ribbing. It's basically as if, like, did Brian Hitch design this? Uh, for which costume are you looking at? Her, her new Pink Ranger costume. Her new Pink Ranger costume. I don't remember there being pouches. There's pouches. Wow. I'm looking at them. I, but pouches. I, I mean, I believe it's got, you. like, the side ribbing. 
on the side. I think she's wearing like knee-high uh, lace boots. Um, send me the like what you're looking at here, because I might uh, missing it here. Uh, anyway, keep talking about the. I'll send it to you. Oh, I'm just. I mean, I've, I've kind of like hit the like the end of it, where like I'm saying, I'm still probably gonna check this out. Um, but it feels in a way. Like it, it's very Brendan Fletcher. His his kind of style is, or his writing style is all over it. It's very reminiscent of of Batgirl. So if you enjoy Batgirl, which a lot of people did, it's a good book. Uh, but this is definitely a book that you can uh, that you can check out. And it's it's been getting good reviews. So I'm not the only one who's saying there's some uh, there's some good stuff out there. So go forth, all he and uh, and check it out. If that is your wish. Yes. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Mm -hmm. And we both read yes. Superman Rebirth number one. Yes. So lots of, a few Rebirth books came out this week. And one of the big ones is Superman. Superman. So here's one thing as we're starting to dig into this. And this was mentioned in... Um, the rebirth volume uh like the big rebirth one shot uh and that is that superman had not died in this new 52 world yet i think you and i had kind of assumed they compressed his history and that he had faced doomsday and died uh, i hadn't kept up with superman too much so i didn't know that that wasn't the case uh i don't know if you did uh, but this is the first and so far only time that this Superman has died. And with armed with that knowledge, Nick, kind of tell us what we're experiencing here. So you, as far as this book is concerned, um, he hasn't died. But technically, since the dawn of the New 52, it, originally it was, yes, he did die by doomsday like that had happened. And then it was like, okay, did, he did die, but it didn't happen quite like that. Uh, I was reading an article where they showed some earlier comics within the New 52 verse where um, he, like, died protecting, like, these mini people. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. Um, um, but as far as this issue is sort of retroactively changing, um, he is, in fact, not died. So basically just kind of like... It's DC. Just freaking go with it. It's comics. Just go with it, as we say all the time. Comics. Um, Heck yeah. Other than that, um, so so basically, one of the biggest mysteries coming out of um, Rebirth is well, honestly, out of Rebirth because it technically started with Convergence. Was that the idea with Convergence was that this older pre-Flashpoint Superman? was from a separate universe who, as the result of Convergence, became stranded on the New 52 Earth, along with his wife Lois Lane and their newborn son Jonathan, right around the time that the Justice League was fighting uh, Darkseid in their origin story. Mm -hmm. So they spent the last several years as Jonathan grew, uh, and he's been uh, acting... Um, he's been protecting the world in secret so that he can protect his family, but also... Um, you know, basically try to stop certain threats from emerging that he knew that emerged from his own time. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as like, you know, he, 
well, he wanted the Earth to kind of stand on its own. Like a lot of people kind of criticize him for that. That like he had the power. Why you know you know he shouldn't have hit himself. I I'm I'm fine with it that he did. But basically, like if if he thought a situation merited him stepping in, uh, then he would. Um, obviously, you can be like, okay, well, Forever Evil seemed like a pretty good time to step in, and he didn't. But obviously, DC didn't know that he was coming around at right. the time. Yeah, so yeah, that's one of those things. It, yeah, that's one of those things that you you could nitpick this to death. Sure, go for it, but you're gonna hate yourself. Yeah, just like what are you what are you gonna do? Um, beyond that. Um, so he was present at the, the death of the New 52 Superman, and then uh, is under the impression that this Clark Kent, like himself, will come back. Um, mm-hmm. As a result, as you find out through the issue, as he kind of explores, has this like philosophical, or not like philosophical, but has a sort of discourse with Lana Lang of the New 52, um, they eventually find out that the tools that he would need to bring him back don't exist on this version of Earth. Um one thing that's hint teased in Rebirth, like the actual Rebirth book, uh, is that the New 52 Superman is not what he seemed, and neither is this Superman. So a lot of people are speculating that in the way that like 10 years were stalling, like this is the Superman from 10 years from now, who has been, not necessarily been shunted to a different universe, but has been shunted back in time, um, so to speak. Obviously, all this conflicts with Convergence, and again, don't think too hard on it. It's comics, um, though it, it does make me curious because this must be something that Jeff Johns, maybe not necessarily with this pre-Flashpoint Superman, but there was a character in when he was writing Superman that was like this cloaked person that said something like, that's not how I trained you, Clark, and never touched on it again. <laughs> and uh-huh. this cloaked person comes to the pre-Flashpoint Superman in DC Universe Rebirth, and it's kind of like, what's up? Um, and so I, hopefully that's going to be something that will play hope, relatively soon. I'm getting kind of tired of waiting. <laughs> Being that like Jeff Johnson ran around was like a year and a half to two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we'll see how that pans out. Um, so that's kind of the nitty gritty. He basically realizes that he can't bring back the new 52 Superman and it's kind of hinting at, okay, he's going to step out back out into the limelight and sort of assume his position as Superman in this version of the DC universe. Mm -hmm. David, what'd you think about it? So I have not read any of the Superman and Lois stuff. Um, You know, it's this contained bearded Superman. Uh, I know that he's been kind of operating in secret. I mean, this book sets you, this, this book does a really good job of setting you up uh, with what you need to know uh, and, and, you know, kind of what happened with, with him being present at the death of New 52 Superman. Uh, and they even go over his own death in, in a level of detail. I really enjoyed this book. Mm. I, I've been very interested to see uh, how this new Superman emerges at, or how this old Superman emerges as Superman in this world. Uh, and, I, and I think that they've set themselves up with a lot of potentially really cool stuff. Um, I like that this book had a real level of intimacy to it, uh, where a book that we're not going to talk about, but but Batman Rebirth, they were like, okay, we're going to set up the next conflict, the next big part of the story. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is doing the same thing. We're going to set up the next big part of the story, but in order to do that, we have to set up this character uh, who you all know and love, but we have to get him into the right place in order to move forward. And I thought they did a really great job doing that. Uh, it it spoke a lot to Superman and him as a symbol and what, what that all means uh, and why this world needs a Superman Mm-hmm. Uh, and how like sort of the need for a Superman outweighs so much more. Um, you and I briefly talked about the art, uh, and, I, and I'll ask you a question about it here uh, in just a sec. But I thought the art was was really good, and you said you said you felt like parts of it were rushed. Um, and I'll, no, I, none of the parts. I thought the art was rushed. That's what you meant. Oh, okay. I didn't know you, you meant that you thought the whole thing was rushed. The whole like all the art. No, rushed. no, more, more. The, I mean, there were some good, like, renderings. Uh, I think like Superman punching Doomsday was pretty cool. Yeah, looking. I'm looking at the it Doomsday scene com- right now. Com- compared to like Doug Mank when like he like has time to really cut loose on a book, um, like some of his Jeff like earlier Jeff Johns Green Lantern comics, um, it, it was clear that like, like he was. I think probably with the accelerated shipping was trying to get this in under the wire. And I think that's a problem that we're going to see with a lot of the DC books, um, which I frankly, if I think if they really can't maintain the quality on the art with the accelerated schedule, it's just, I'd rather they go back to once a month, but. No, and I, and I, I mean, I get you, I guess to me, the art didn't stick out in that way. Uh, but we'll see how it, you know, how it goes moving forward. Um, I mean, what did you think as, you know, art, art stuff aside, what did you think of, of the story and all that? I mean, it was a very simple story. Um, basically it was a discussion about, you know, a person's place, uh, and what they mean both on sort of like a societal level and also on like a personal level. I thought at times Lana Lang, like on one hand, like I get that she was upset, but the way she was being written was like, she was like, when I say loud, like not just like she was screaming because she was upset, which can sometimes be understandable, but just like she was like really in your face. And I feel like Lana mm-hmm. Lane is one of those characters that doesn't have like the most developed personality mm-hmm. uh, from Superman's from Superman's cast. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, from at least my experience with her, which admittedly isn't a ton, um, I just kind of felt like like oh she's Superman's best you know, childhood best friend, and like that's all she's really known for. Um, I, I do take to the older pre-Flashpoint Superman. It's not even that I'm like somehow nostalgic of the pre-Flashpoint Superman in that universe. Like technically that's the Superman I grew up with, but when Superman, when Flashpoint happened, the universe reset, like the last time I saw him, he was like, he was married, but he didn't have a kid, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, and this is, you know, this is that super, supposedly that is the Superman as far as DC's telling us. Plus like, you know, Jonathan, I think they're, because of Super Sons, they're, you know, if Damien's 13, they're probably going to say Jonathan's around 13. But if he was a newborn when when um, new, the New 52 started, and it's only been technically like five to six years, he would only be five or six. But in the book, like in the, the Lois and Clark book, he's definitely portrayed a little bit older, but not necessarily 13. So anyway, again, head hurts. Um <laughs> But let's just assume that he is, say, thir- like maybe somewhere between 10 and 13. That's that old Superman with 10 plus years on him. So he's, it's literally like as if DC did a like 
find out what happens to Superman ten years from now, you know, kind of like Future Zen. Um, so I mean, there, there's still like a separation between like this being the the quote unquote the old slash the real Superman and like who was actually this old slash the real Superman. Um, but I mean, I'm interested to see Superman as a you know as a dad, you know, married to Lois again is nice. Um, but really, it kind of remains to be seen. I think the my biggest issue with this, and I think my biggest issue is going to be coming with a lot of the rebirth stuff, is kind of the headache of like this happened but then it didn't happen because this happened and like that's because of these guys over here that have never been associated with this universe and just like oh headache um but beyond that as a super fan that's invested in mythology and all the crazy twists and turns it can take even as a meta narrative um definitely Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason specifically and as much as I like Doug Mack I'm excited to see Patrick Gleason's art on the book mm-hmm. um and that's you know that's basically all she wrote I just like how with Rebirth you're being the really jaded one, uh, <laughs> which is just weird. Usually it's me. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of our, I guess, our thoughts on on Superman Rebirth. Uh, and if you read it, which I recommend that you do, I don't know about Nick, but uh, you know, you can go check it out. And please write us to tell us all about what you thought. Uh, we'd love to read them and maybe share them here on the show over at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. With that, with that, we will go ahead and move into the news with... Spider-Man and his amazing friends! And man, there is some news uh, I, th- I think one of the biggest stories of this week is that Dwayne Johnson will be playing Doc Savage in uh, in a Shane Black film. For those unaware, Shane Black uh, is a great director. He directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is one of my favorite movies. Uh, but he also directed Iron Man 3, a movie that I've also chided. Uh, but not for its directing. Uh, anyway... It was announced yesterday that uh, Dwayne Johnson will be taking over for the role, taking over the role. Nick, I have to ask, are we hitting uh, max rock saturation? David, there's no such thing. If The Rock wanted to star as every single character in in a a film for for every film that will ever be created for the rest of the time, The Rock is allowed to do so. Any, That's all I have to say. Any character? Any character. He can play out May for all I care. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That would be the best. Like, the supervillain comes in to, uh, uh, to kidnap Aunt May, and he just cold cocks him. <laughs> just as, like, a clothesline, or says something about, you smell that, punk? And he says whatever he said back when he was a wrestler. Um... I mean, Doc Savage is a guy, just changing gears here, or changing them back, uh, Doc Savage is an old, pulpy character that, um, at least as I can tell in, like, the last maybe five-plus years, has been trying to, like, he kind of keeps coming in and out of public consciousness with, like, DC was trying to do their run with the, the what was it called? The first something? Uh, first Wave. First Wave. Um, and then I... Which was uh, the Spirit... Doc Savage, Doc Savage and Batman. Batman. Brian, Brian Azzarello. 
So not sure. who who's publishing Doc Savage now? It's IDW maybe. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. So he's at he's at another comic book. Maybe Dynamite. Probably Dynamite. Um, I'll figure it out eventually. Um, you know, he's definitely a character that's got some cool um, concepts surrounding him. Uh, it'll be interesting, you know, if they're going to play him as a character of his time or if they're going to try and update him to the modern world. If you update him to the modern world, you know, some characters like, say, Batman, Superman, like characters that may have started around the same time but have had the opportunity to progress as time has progressed, you know, you could kind of be like, well, I can see Batman operating in any decade. You know, Doc Savage is a guy that, because he he never really stayed consistent and kind of molded with the times, he feels very antiquated as far as like the time he's supposed to take place in, you know. So it's like, how how could they, you know, that it is possible for them to update for today's standards. Him maybe compared to someone like the Spirit, based on like the Spirit's like overall look is is very based on the time that he was created in, but obviously it wouldn't make a lot of sense if he just kind of popped out now, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, so, I mean, that kind of raises the question is when Doc Savage can take place. Other than that, like, I don't have a strong affinity for Doc Savage. So, I mean, as long as the movie's good, uh, I mean, I'll, with Shane Black directing, The Rock is Doc Savage, like, I think they'll probably uh, have us in for a good time. Uh, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't have much exposure with Doc Savage outside of the first wave stuff. Uh, I think, personally, in my opinion, it would uh, benefit them to keep him in a in a pulpy adventure, set it in like the 1920s, have it be very Indiana Jones style. Because mm-hmm. I think people really want that. Um, I know we have a possibility of another Harrison Ford Indiana Jones. Uh, but I think, you know, if you had another character in that, Space, vein. yeah, in that vein, like I think that would be a uh, a great benefit to to us all as a movie going audience. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm excited to see how this turns out. I mean, he is the Rock. It really is everywhere. He's in the upcoming Baywatch movie. He's going to be playing Black Adam. He's Doc Savage. He's on Ballers. He's on Ballers, which I hear is great. Uh, uh, I've seen the. I basically binged the whole first season. So he's, yeah. I could... uh, Fa- he's, good. he's in the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, I just want to know how much he's worth currently. It's insane. Uh, Nick, what else is on the news? Um, justice. Uh, let me pull it back up. My man. Ah, okay. Thor Ragnarok, the upcoming third installment of the Thor franchise, will draw influence from Planet Hulk. Uh, according to the report, when Thor comes upon the Hulk um, or happens upon the Hulk, uh, he will already be in sort of a gladiatorial situation. It sounds like a lot of Thor uh, will either be taking place among the different nine realms or just maybe out in space in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, presumably when Thor comes upon Hulk uh, in the gladiatorial match, either gets thrown in with him and they eventually uh, plan an escape and it, that's when it turns into the buddy film is being touted as. I'd be very curious, like exactly everything this film is trying to accomplish. You've got. It does feel like they're trying to accomplish a lot. You've got Loki returning, and I mean, like with the dangling plot, you know, the cliffhanger from Thor: The Dark World that that Loki's been ruling, you know, Asgard this whole time, and presumably 
screwing it up. Um, it would be interesting to see like how, like, I feel like that's such a big thing. Like that could technically take its own movie, but then you obviously have Hela coming in who supposedly is the main bad guy. You've got Valkyrie, the Hulk's going to be in there as a buddy. Um, and it's going to take place in space, and supposedly it's going to be the lead into Infinity War, so it probably is going to have a little bit of Thanos in it, and at least, or at least like the Infinity Gauntlet. It's just like, okay, I respect the writer that's trying to take all that and make it into something cohesive. Yeah, so this is, what you're saying right now is how I felt leading up to um, Civil War where I thought they're like, hey, we really want to find Bucky. I'm like, cool, that is an entire other spy thriller all onto itself. And then they were like, okay, well, we want to adapt Civil War and et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, people are are going crazy. They pulled it off, yay. So it's not that it can't be done. Uh, It just seems like with the way that they set off the last movie that, um, I mean, that that wasn't the direction we expected it to go. and I get with movies, Marvel can only get a couple out a year, but man, they are really trying to mash as many storylines as they can into everything mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, where kind of I want to just tell them like, "Hey guys, take a take a step back, take a breather." Uh, I don't. I'm not too familiar with Planet Hulk. I'll be curious to see how they hand wave the explanation of uh, and then Hulk went through a portal and ended up here. Because like in the comic, it's they they put him on a rocket to get him out of the way for being too destructive. Mm-hmm. I don't see that happening in the movies. Uh, not, yeah, not not in a and you know in this one, obviously he he went off on his own at the end of Age of Ultron to parts unknown. I mean, I don't think the ship he was in was space capable. So yeah. my my feeling is that he probably was kidnapped while on Earth and brought to. The gladiators. The only thing I can think is maybe they'll. Well, oh, so they cast Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster. Mm-hmm. So maybe they'll. They're sort of revising the Grandmaster. This guy that kind of like had because I think in the Grandmaster it's like the whole not contest of champions is I think the wrong event, but he has this thing where he like uses the heroes as chess pieces as they kind of fight for glory. So maybe that's going to play into it where the Hulk, one of the strongest beings, is kind of taken and put against other major threats in the universe. And that's kind of where Thor comes in, too, is my thought. So maybe that's where the Grandmaster will tie in with that. That, actually, I think is, sounds pretty good. Also, the fact that Jeff Goldblum is going to be in a Marvel movie, let alone playing the Grandmaster, just makes me think, like, he's probably going to be super campy in all the right ways. Um, oh, and Carl Urban as Scourge the Executioner. Curious how that plays in, too. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of... Uh stuff they're um they're touting out they're they're bringing to the arena here so uh so yeah we'll we'll i guess we'll just have to wait and see how this all plays out and uh you know it's too early to speculate too early i feel like that's a lot of our news stores like yep this was announced got nothing else on it speaking of i mean i mean there's there's other stuff uh Speaking of, of real quick announcement, it is rumored, according to Variety, for Brie Larson to play Captain Marvel. Any any thoughts on that? I like Brie Larson. Uh, I've liked her since I saw her in the United States of Tar- Tar- Tara. Um, in my head, she's always been really small, like height-wise, like she's very short. I'm not saying that Captain Marvel can't be short, but you always kind of picture her as being one of the more taller 
you know, kind of standing, you know, side by side with the, the taller male characters. Um, so either they will like use movie magic to make her appear taller, or they will just have her be her, short, like a little powerhouse. In, put her in high heels. Uh, <laughs> I hope not. Hey, every superhero, every female superhero so far. Uh, yeah, she's always been kind of like the girl next door. Like, always seems really sweet and bubbly and fun. And I'm not too familiar with Captain Marvel, so I don't know uh, what her personality uh, is like. Um, but I mean, it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting. I I don't really have it in my head. Uh, I really don't want it to be uh, Katie Sackoff because I'm the only person alive apparently who doesn't like Katie Sackoff. Um, her character was terrible in Battlestar Galactica, guys. Just get over it. Anyway. FX has picked up Legion to go to series. Cool. <laughs> that's all you. That's all you got to say on that. I don't know. Like it's still through Fox, and I haven't been impressed with Fox X Men output. I mean, besides Deadpool. Um, so it's like I guess it could be good, but that's kind of those things where it's still so early. Like it's obviously going to be, I think, pretty loosely based on the source material. Like it'll probably deal with mutants and. And all that, but like he's the son of Charles Xavier, uh, and they're like I know um, uh, Simon Simon Spurrier. I want to say it was uh, had uh, a pretty critically well received uh, Legion uh, story for X. I think it was X X Men Legacy. Maybe it was just called Legion. Um, um, like just in the last couple of years. So I mean, it's not like Legion couldn't work off on his own. But even in that story, like, there were a handful of times where he was sort of bouncing off of the X-Men. So, like, is this, I sound like this is going to be something that's going to be kind of more self-contained, not necessarily tied into the greater X-Men universe. Uh, and if that's the case, like, who are they going to get away with actually showing on the show? Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, like, he is a cool character with some an interesting power set. And as long as they just tell a good story, that's all that really matters. Right. So here, this is all from Marvel.com. So this is all official. Uh, Here is what the story of Legion will be about. Uh, Legion introduces the story of David Heller. Heller? That's a weird name. Uh, I expected it to be Heller with an E, so that caught me up. Uh, Introduces the story of David Haller. Since he was a teenager, David has struggled with mental illness. Diagnosed as schizophrenic, David has been in and out of psychiatric hospitals for years. But after a strange encounter with a fellow patient, he's confronted with the possibility that the voices he hears and the visions he sees might be real. Starring, uh, where's the guy's name? Dan Stevens, Rachel Keller, John, John, Jean Smart, uh, Aubrey Plaza, Jeremy. Oh, yeah, Aubrey Plaza is going to be in yeah, this. Jeremy Harris, Amber Midthunder, which is an amazing name. Midthunder. Uh, Midthunder. Uh, Katie Asselton and Bill Irwin are all set to star. Um, it's going to be an eight-episode first season. Will uh, debut in early 2017. More details as they become available. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. What else on the news list catches your eye there, Nick? We've got a we've, we've got a few good stories in there. Uh, let's see, uh, there might be a new Injustice video game coming out next year, uh, currently still rumored, uh, last time I checked, 
um, which is cool. If you like the last one, if you like fighting games, then I bet it will be just as good, if not better. Yeah. Uh, Suicide Squad mm-hmm. is Twitter's most anticipated movie, apparently. That's pretty cool. That's cool. Good. Hopefully that translates to actual ticket sales. And that if, uh, A, that it's actually a good movie, and B, if it is a good movie, then it does well. In uh, somber news, Mike Mignola does not believe we will ever see a Hellboy 3. This is, yeah, this is sad. It's sad. I think it's, I mean, I get that the first two did not make a lot of money. Uh, so I'm not trying, I don't want to like, not personify, but like, I don't want to look further into it than it actually is. I mean, Ron Perlman has said that, you know, it's not likely. There was, like, that one brief stint where, like, some kid was, like, a dying kid or something, like, inspired, like, oh, yeah, we want to get Hellboy 3 made, and then nothing happened. And then Yeah, you got, like, him getting really excited and Del Toro getting really excited, and people were kind of like, oh, like, maybe? And then Del Toro was like, ah, I'm really busy right now, and Perlman's like, nah, it's probably not going to happen. And no, it's just like, oh, okay. I mean, not like Mike, not Mike Mignola had really any control over the first two either, but mm-hmm. I mean, he, it's just, it's sad. It's unfortunate. It's yeah. unfortunate. Well, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's it's funny because uh, somebody was posting on Facebook today, they're like, Haley Atwell will do whatever it takes to get a season three of, uh, of Agent Carter like happening. And my response to that was, Ron Perlman will do whatever it takes to make a Hellboy 3. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. And I know for people, the the wound of um, of Agent Carter being canceled is still pretty fresh. And so they have that blind hope. They're signing online petitions, which mean nothing, and actually are representing that the numbers for Agent Carter weren't that high. Um so yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's like a a genre show that you know needs to appeal to a mass audience, and a mass audience includes plenty of people that like aren't going to go out of their way to sign petitions. So obviously, you get the only the the diehard fans. Um, I mean, as far as that too, like with Haley Atwell, like she, I read that she had signed on to like the show conviction before there was even a cancellation notice of agent Carter. Yeah. So like, was she signed on and then they decided to cancel? Cause I feel like I, I don't know the ratings off the top of my head. Someone can correct me, but it felt like it like wasn't doing so bad that it needed to be canceled. Like they probably could have pushed out another season if need um, be, especially given that they, they set up agent Carter season two, I guess the way that it ends is on a cliffhanger mm-hmm. inviting more stories, not like sort of tying in a nice bow. So I felt like it ended with them feeling pretty confident that they would get so let's, another let's, season. Let's take a look here. Uh, the season started off with 3.18 million viewers and its premiere, and uh, and it ended with 2.35. So that's a kind of significant drop, um, especially on like a major network like that. I'm not terribly surprised uh, and, that it got canceled, and apparently. You know, a, a lot of shows like this can can survive off of buzz, but the buzz for season two just wasn't really there. Uh, after season one, everybody was on a high note; they were very excited about it. I felt like when season two happened, people were kind of disappointed. It just wasn't on the radar as much. And I'll look at season one numbers uh, just so we can get a comparison. So season one premiered with six point nine one million viewers, and when all was said and done, four point 
uh, which is which are pretty substantial. And then to have, I mean, that's a pretty big drop off between seasons to lose those viewers. Uh, we'll see. I mean, maybe Netflix will pick it up, but I haven't seen it. And I, I do plan on watching. I, I think part of the problem is too that Netflix has not put it on there. Uh, like they did not put season one on there after it ended, and how, you know the appropriate amount of time had passed. Even though they get Agents of Shield relatively quickly. But, hey, you know, I don't get paid to make these decisions. I just uh, get paid to... Well, I don't get paid to talk about comics, either. Uh, the other news. Stan Lee was not actually in a strip club for his cameo. Not really surprised. I didn't think that was a real strip club, anyway. I mean, I don't think it was a real strip club, but he apparently wasn't in the... He Like, they filmed his scene separately and then just cut it into the the scene yeah that makes he sense. wasn't actually there that makes sense i mean he's a busy old guy you know they got to keep him in that free like the freezing tube for as long as possible <laughs> uh he's he's going to his last new york comic-con pretty soon here yeah no he's definitely i mean i feel like he's winding down they got he's basically like the winter soldier they just have to put him in cryo and break him out when when he's needed uh yep X-Men Apocalypse underwhelms at box office for Memorial Day weekend. It was actually a really disappointing Memorial Day weekend for uh, the box office entirely. I say this as somebody who's in a summer movie draft. Uh, and Powers Season 2 is being viewed as a do-over. Uh, now, Nick, did you ever finish Powers Season 1? No, I watched the first episode of Season 1 and I was like, mm, uh, no. Yeah, I I watched the first couple of episodes, um, and I'm like, I, I would like to like this, but I kind of couldn't. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, though, uh, describes it as a do-over to correct some of the perceived slights in the show's first season. Um, we'll see. Hopefully this, this pays off for them. Uh, I uh, don't know if I'm going to be compelled to watch it after you know the kind of the disappointing beginnings there but we'll mm -hmm. see we'll see well nick i would say we've got we've got a time for a discussion topic if you want to go ahead and dig into something here uh would you like to discuss our constant relaunches good for the industry that is what uh that's what I was looking to discuss here. So there's also a, a tease that Marvel Now will soon no longer be Marvel Now. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, where it was Marvel Now, but the Now was shattered. Yeah. Uh, become Marvel then. And uh, editor Tom Brevoort. Is that how you pronounce it? I, really I think it's Brevoort, yeah. Uh, he said recently, it's not a stunt. It's a recognition of the fact that this is the world we live in now because the demands on readers' times and dollars are what they are. I'm convinced, utterly convinced, that virtually every comic book reader cannot afford to buy all the comics they'd like to be buying and reading. There are too many good books out there across all publishers. The average fan just can't afford everything. What that means is readers are far more cutthroat these days than they might have been back in the days back in the day, in terms of axing any particular title from their pull list. If only because there are so many other delicious-looking pieces of candy on the shelf they might want to sample. Uh, what this means is, yeah, just kind of summarizing here, is that every book has to work at peak performance level, single issue, um, 
has to be working at peak performance level every single issue without fail. Otherwise, you're put adrift. Uh, so, Nick, what are your thoughts on these comments? Um, I mean, I think it's true. Um, I mean, even, you know, obviously Marvel's doing it. DC, while they lasted out longer, remains to be seen how they go on their rebirth books. Um, you know, at some point in the next couple of years, they're going to have some kind of event and they'll probably reboot them again. I feel like DC's going to head down that road. Image might not adopt it, but they've already kind of taken on a seasonal approach where you have books that go on for like five or six issues and then take like a month or two off and then kind of come back. So you're getting more like 10 issues in a year with like a two month, you know, season break. Um, so I feel like the idea that there's so much out on the market and sort of giving some books breathing room um, is one element. And then, of course, the new shiny number one, which is basically Marvel's point, is another. I think it can't be denied. Like, simply, as far as I can see, sales do go up with that number one. Yes, they go down. But sometimes, like, being like, okay, this book's going to run, you know, for, you know, six to 12 issues... And then, mm -hmm. you know, we might give it a few months and then, oh, this event kind of gives us a great launching pad to kind of take the character in this other direction. You know, you can kind of get your next She-Hulk book or whatever, you know, under a slightly different lens. Uh, and maybe that will stick a little bit longer. Um, but, I, I, but is it ruining the industry? Or is it, sorry, is it good for the industry? I guess, like, we're really still in the early days of it. So it's hard to have a strong opinion on it. Um, I I don't know if we are still in the early days of it. It's been happening for several cycles now. It, it especially has, especially on the Marvel I mean, side. But it's like, I mean, we're talking about an industry that that isn't really growing. Like, there are lots of people invested in the characters through the films and all that, but it's not like the people that are watching the movies are suddenly translating into comic sales. So not as much as they would like, no. Not as much as they would like. I mean, not as much as any. I mean, the, the the numbers are negligible. So I mean, like there are new fans coming in all the time, probably at the same rate that like fans are dying and or leaving. Um, so I mean, just like it's not like the comic book industry is obtaining like massive like an influx of people that you know because on one hand you're not what Marvel is basically saying is that like. It's cool if you want to collect comics. We're not going to stop you. We can appreciate that maybe you value a really long-running title, but we need to attract people that actually want to read the books, not just people that are going to like maybe pick up this issue because they think it has some perceived value if they can resell it mm -hmm. and pay for their kids' college tuition in several in you know 20 years. Um, it's like we want you to enjoy the story. So when you're approaching it from enjoying the stories it really doesn't matter what the number is on the cover as long as the content is good. And if that's the case, if it is about enjoying the story, then it's easier to tell someone like, hey, pick up issue number one than to pick up issue number 12 or 13 or 36 or 52. Um, I mean, you could mark it as like, okay, this new creative team came on and they're part of it. And I get that like people in the past were much more, I mean, like when I started on, on Amazing Spider-Man, you know, I had a, a handful of issues and like, be, you know, in like the high 400s or whatever. Um, or when I came on with J. Michael Straczynski, he was in like the 
third, like high thirties or something of that volume. So, I mean, like obviously there are people that will jump in regardless of what the number is, but I think it, it can't be denied that being able to walk by and say, Oh, I've always kind of been interested in ghost rider. And here's a shiny new number one on the new release yeah. rack. No, uh, Let me yeah. check it out. Yeah. Number one is definitely attractive. Um, it, and I, I will even admit to have, have fallen victim to that. Uh, I think I think I do it more for limited run series where I'm like, oh, Image put out a new book. I'm going to check out the number one. Uh, and maybe it's happened a couple times with Marvel. It probably happened with New 52, stuff like that. It definitely does have that feeling of, okay, I can easily slip into this now uh, and, and go ahead and, and get my chance with it. But to me, in kind of a way, it feels like we're also stagnating people where we're saying like, okay, you can't, you know, you have 12 issues. Uh, you have to tell your story in 12 issues, uh, but then you have to make sure that everything's clean. Like you can't really leave, you can't leave a lot of loose ends. You can't want to tell like this big, you know, three, four year story because we're going to relaunch and we're, you know, we might, might get a new creative team on here and we really want this to be accessible to people we don't want them to go back. We want them to be really confused when they're trying to buy, you know, volume one of Daredevil because which volume do they buy? Do they buy, you know, Marvel Now number one, Heroic Age, or like the 16 different, you know, volume ones that are out there. Uh, I get the draw of it and there definitely are uh, advantages, but I think there still are a lot of disadvantages. And there are times, like I'm saying, with... I've had issues trying to pick up the right volume one um, because I want to get into a series, but I don't. I, I, I have I have not picked up Marvel uh, trades because I'm not sure what I'm picking up. I'm not sure what I'm getting. Well, you, I would say, like you're being lazy and just go do a, a little bit of quick research, and you'll find out which volume one that you need to pick up. Okay, so I have to go do research. I can't just be in my comic shop and be like, oh, or, cool, this one. Or you could like ask the shop person. And so the shop person know. is supposed to have like every storyline memorized. Not necessarily, David. I'm just saying that not. Like, I'm, I understand. I I, I see your argument, <laughs> but and I realize that impulse. Like, I, you're not going to build a market on simply impulse buying. Like, if you want to, like, with comics, like you obviously like it's it's not just like everyone buy silly bands. It's like obviously there's a, a commitment involved in trying to be engaged in the story, whether you were like watching a movie or a TV show or reading a comic, it's all about getting engaged in the story. So sometimes a little bit of homework might be necessary. And yeah, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to say that every time I'm going to buy a comic, it's going to be an impulse buy, but there definitely are times where I'm like, hey, I, you know, I, I have a little bit extra money right now while I'm here. Like it dawns on me, like while I'm here, I'm going to try to pick up some trades. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't always know where, where to go. And then I end up in the image section and picking up, you know, trades of image books. So really it's a win-win for me either way. <laughs> um, I think this is kind of a neutral view on the whole thing. I don't think the comic book industry is ever going to boom again. It's not going to boom in the sense that, um, not not like a speculator corner, but it's not going to boom where like the same amount of people that watch movies or watch TV shows 
are going to read comics. It's always going to be kind of the redhead stepchild of sort of like the, the narrative medium. And I think part of that's unfortunate that it might not, not ever be able to shed that particular perception. Um, but it's like, oh, why bother reading the comics when I can just go see the movies? You know, why should I care? And it's just like, I just don't think that's going to happen. So I think like there'll always be new fans coming in. There'll be old fans leaving or dying. Um, but I mean, I think, I don't think the numbers are ever going to spike significantly. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to. Yeah, we've reached an age where comics aren't. They've kind of like they they had a low, they had their high, and now they've kind of settled. And unless, and I'm not, like basically a cultural like like not like necessarily even from the industry itself, but just like in general, a cultural shift would need to happen that would um, kind of galvanize a large swaths of people that weren't reading and investing and paying the money to suddenly do it. And part of that is, of course, and is the price of comics. If you're thinking that like the the, the like and when, of course when we're thinking comics like I'm talking like Marvel and DC who are basically the things the companies keeping the industry afloat you know as it as it is you know like you think like their mythologies and their universes have a high barrier of entry like you want to get someone to do a comic but it's just like hey spend four bucks every month you know if you're reading on one, one book. book four bucks okay who gives a crap that's like two less Twinkies. Um, where are you buying Twinkies, man? They're expensive Twinkies. <laughs> Gourmet Twinkies, my friend. Um, you know, versus like, all right, well, there's this book, this book, this is book, this book. Like, I recommend all of these. They're all four, four books a pop. Or like, if it's Marvel, like it's like sixteen dollars to buy like the first four issues plus maybe a reprint of an old issue in the first volume. DC's maybe a buck or two less. Image has a great entry point as far as it usually the first volume usually being like a ten bucks, um, but still even with Image you're spending between three and four dollars, even three dollars. Like I don't want to take away the fact that not a lot of people are buying comics, so especially on like creator owned books, like the the cost of producing the book, like they I always say they probably sometimes aren't even breaking even as far as paying the writer and the artist and all the production costs. Um, so it's like. Because of the amount of it's it's unfortunate the because of the amount of work that goes into a comic, especially from the art side, that they're, they sell so low so that these people aren't making like they have to do it because they love it. So I'm not like I'm not necessarily advocating that like comics should cost less, but I mean I think comics the fact should the be prices... a, comics should be a volunteer industry where you only get into it and you only make stuff if you really truly love it. And if you're trying to make money out of there, you're just trying to exploit the the people. Yeah, right. Um, so it's tough. Like, how much should a comic be worth? Like, should digital comics cost the same as a print comic? Like, I, I, I was reading that there's still, like, in the same way that, like, there's print costs. Like, it's not simply just like, oh, hey, here, like, here's here's a digital copy of the comic. We didn't kill any trees, so it should be worth cheaper. Like, there's certain operating costs to go to displaying it on digital storefront um and and maintaining it so like i guess you might be able to still justify that high price obviously it's not always the case with movies that tend to cost a few bucks less some companies usually get away with being like okay well after the first month you're gonna go down a buck or like after that first six months it'll go down a buck or something like that it's it's such a complicated thing and i just feel like comic book the industry is just kind of like 
in this vicious cycle where it's not dying, but it's not living. It's existing. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's, it's comics are not doing a great job adapting to this new world. I mean, the, the properties themselves, you know, they're, they're going to find avenues. There will always be merchandising. There will always be toys. There will always be movies, TV shows. There are ways for these characters to carry on and keep going. Uh, but their original habitat, you know, it's endangered. It's, it's shrinking by the years, guys. And, uh, and if we get like a Sarah McLaughlin song uh, playing in the background while I'm, while I'm talking here, but uh, you know, we really got to like band together and for just, uh, for just as low as $3 a month, you can keep these characters in their books. Uh, that's if you're buying DC, if you're buying Marvel for as low as $7 a month, you can keep these characters where they are meant to be and loved uh, forever and for all time. And uh, just start including digital sales for the love of all that is good and holy. Why is that such a problem? Well, it's digital sales. Like, Comixology has digital sales. I also well, no, no, think... no, no. I mean, like, like, including in the numbers of how much a book is selling. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all like, like, oh, the numbers are private. Like, or obviously, like, when you're looking at the diamond numbers, it's how much was ordered, not how much sold. Um, it's a complicated thing. And some of that has to do with the limitations of the direct market. Uh, trying to get, you know, it's like on one hand, like, this is like, I am not like, it's cool going into a comic shop, but comic shops are niche places, not some, like, there's not that many comic shops left. So it's like, you want yeah. obviously, like, and you don't want to be responsible for knocking out, continue, knocking out an entire, you know, all these businesses, but it's kind of like, let's say you're trying to transition from like oil to like renewable energy sources that like were, you know, that work just as well, but were more efficient and cheaper and blah, blah, blah. Like obviously not discounting say like the big executive types that just make money off the shit that don't really matter. But like the people that actually get their bread and butter from working in that industry, you can be like, well, from an objective standpoint, that sucks. But as a society, we need to move forward as something else so i don't want to discredit like the work that the direct market has put into comic books or say there isn't a place for them in there but sometimes i feel like there's an over-reliance on the direct market and the fact that like we need to keep it afloat it's more like if we find other channel and i know like digital obviously is a, new, is a quote-unquote newer channel for comic books but if we were to find a way that like we could really spread the wealth of comic books out in a way that obviously the companies profited and that people, you know, it was accessible to people, even if it meant that the direct market would shrink even further. But if it, if it helped the industry and the profits of the companies developing these books mm -hmm. grow, then that'd be great. I mean, movies, like obviously you've got the, the production teams, you've got the companies that like own the property rights, everyone that's throwing the money at it, that can create control. And you don't really just have just movie stores. I mean, I don't even know if there well, ever were just movie stores. You did. But called, I mean, they were called Blockbuster. But, okay, but like Blockbuster obviously went like went out and you know went out the pasture, and now a newer form of like entertainment consumption is out there, whether it be like streaming, like Netflix, or you have places like Walmart or 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 Best Buy, which do more than just sell the movies. Like, but when you have like a comic book shop that is only selling this one product. 
you have one form well, of revenue strange. Well, I, 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 mean, I think, like they sell toys and they sell baseball cards sometimes and all that. Well, I, and and what I mean, what you're kind of describing is what my comic shop in Phoenix has become. They they used to be, and, I, and it's their twelfth anniversary, I think. So good for them. Way to go, Samurai Comics. Um, like I remember when they started, it was you know comics anime and manga that was like that was all their stuff it was a small store they've expanded considerably over time uh but their new space uh you know they have the wall of single issues they have all of the the graphic novels they have uh, the new stuff the area of back issues but more than 50 percent of their store this time it is board games uh, it is merchandise it is toys uh really comic shops are the ones that are thriving are doing as sort of as you were saying they are adapting uh to become culture shops you know yeah. as as it were uh where it's th- their main focus is, is not just comics and there is sort of a, a sadness to that um because they're not going to carry as many graphic novels and and niche titles as they might have before when they were dedicating more shelf space you know they're going to have to get rid of some of those indie books because they've got to put more Funko Pops everywhere uh, for people to buy. Um, Which I will. I only I only own two. I we are everything in front of our TV is a Funko Pop. I have uh, the armored Batman and uh, Jay nice. Garrick from the Flash TV show. Uh, neither here nor there. Um, so that I mean that's that's speaking to like. This is very funny how the how this discussion went, but I guess that that I mean that kind of makes sense. We were talking about these constant relaunches. How does that work for the industry? And really, really, we're talking about industry. We're talking about money, and that's going to trickle down into into shops, into local stores. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you have any other thoughts of what we're and and here's to say one thing of the the relaunches and all that uh, rebirth had a midnight release at a lot of stores. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like, if a Marvel event that has, but DC makes kind of a bigger event because they only do it every, like, five years versus uh, every six months. DC do it, does it every year. They had Convergence last year, the year before that. Yeah, they had but Convergence wasn't, Convergence wasn't... Convergence was an event. Like, they didn't, no matter how you okay, watch no, no, it. Okay, what I'm event. saying is it's not, it's not a relaunch event in the way that Rebirth is. Gotcha. That's what I'm trying um, to say. Other discussion points. The industry, how the industry needs to adapt, I don't think I'm smart enough to figure it out. It obviously needs to adapt in a way that still that benefits the creators producing the books, the companies that are publishing the books, uh, and obviously those that sell it. I don't like, with my admittedly limited knowledge, I don't know if the direct market is still the future of comic books. I certainly don't comic shops to go out of business but obviously shops like your samurai comics uh and a few other shops that i know you know like obviously becoming more pop culture shops is kind of the way to go they're like if if you want to, comics have to be looked at as a consumable just like any movie or a song or, or book novel mm-hmm. whatever like it's a consumable it's not just something that like you can buy slap in a in a bag of board and then hope like will will sell for a lot in 20 years like people that still buy that way if anything are maybe the ones hurting the industry when you get like 50 hundred variant covers yeah and variants are like variants are a whole different discussion that we are not going to go into you know but that's that's the idea that 
um, like the books have to be worth something. Like it's one thing if it's like, okay, that cover looks cool. I think variants has sort of like, you know, we have like these five cover choices, pick which one you like, but not sort of like, this is super rare. You need to order X number of copies of this book just to get one of these books, mm-hmm. one of this, one of these variants. I personally don't think that's right. That leaves shops with a lot of excess copies that they're probably not going to be able to float. Um, so again, sort of reframing comic books is just consumables, which I think, but obviously maybe besides Marvel's like variant program, like focusing on a seasonal model, focus on the content, honestly, the number on the book is kind of a way of, is, is maybe the early stages of changing the viewpoint as comics is just something that you can kind of pick up and watch. And then kind of like for those that want to collect them, like for those, there's those, the people that watch movies, and there's, there's people that collect movies. For the most part, I don't think anyone that's collecting movies now is thinking this movie's going to be worth something in a long time. It's just like, I'm a movie lover and I'm going to have my collection. So if you're uh, a comic lover, you can have your collection, but it's not based on its like its its cover worth. It's just based on like, I just love collecting comics, but I, ultimately I just enjoy the stories on the pages. So that's just where they need to go. On, on the pages? Opinion consumables well we are not going to save the industry tonight maybe in the future we're still not quite sure uh it's all up in the air uh but for now what we will say about relaunches so they definitely do have a place in the industry obviously from a business standpoint they do do good they can do good for storytelling they can also hurt but that's probably true about anything uh, this will pretty much, I think it's uh, it's time for us now to move on and uh, and ask ourselves a very important question. You boys aren't nerds, are you? Nick, what are you recommending? Uh, nothing. Only because in the last week I've basically been continuing catching up on the old Captain Marvel series from the early 2000s. And I probably have recommended that before, so I'm not going to recommend it again. Mm-hmm. Until maybe I've read the complete thing. Uh, so I don't really have anything new to share for people. Well, that's not cool. There's something I was going to recommend a couple weeks ago that I like, forget what it is and it's driving me crazy. Um, oh man, it's so annoying because it, it was a good recommendation too. I'm going to look at my shelf of stuff that I've recommended before. This is what I do occasionally. Uh, man. I don't want us to both recommend nothing. That's not cool. You know what I think we haven't recommended before? And I'm going to recommend it in light of Rebirth. I'm going to recommend that if you somehow have never read Watchmen, uh, go read Watchmen. What's wrong with you and Watchmen is a very interesting book about very interesting ideas uh, especially talking about old comics and like the golden age and the bronze age and all that crap Uh, it is written by Alan Moore with art by Dave Gibbons Uh, it is very seminal very historic and with the way that Rebirth is going where the universe of DC may have been created by a member uh, or by a character from that book, you should probably make yourself acquainted with what's going on. 
So go ahead, folks, and get your ass over to your local comic book store to say the words Watchmen, and they'll throw a copy at your face, and that uh, should be fine. Don't read before Watchmen, what's, because, I mean, if you're a sadomasochist, go for it. But uh, It's got art from Darwin Cook in there. Oh, well, some of them do, not all of them. Just saying. Uh, Nick, do you have any other thoughts, anything else you want to share? Enjoy life while you can, folks. Wow, that's bleak. Uh, in that case, we're going to go ahead and just close out the show here. Uh, if you enjoyed... The, nope, nope, I'm not going to jump right to the end. Uh, if you want to find out more about the show, you can head on over to heckyeahcomics.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics or write us an email, heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find Nick uh, attempting to carpe the diem as best that he can. And as always, if you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then, you know, please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Ever.